once you go back home, you are independent and you can just practice for practicing. I think that's the main thing for me is that I just do it because I like Nagnata. It was like a family enterprise, so to say. My mom would do like all the catering, the sandwiches for everyone, and my dad would be doing the camera because he's a producer for documentary. So he and students do all the camera work, and we would make a DVD afterwards. And everyone would camp in the in the field next to my parents' house. I think that's what keeps me motivated. I feel there is always something that you can do better, and always something you can improve. Always a new combination of things that you didn't think about or say, I'm going to try out this, I'm going to try out that. There are lots of possibilities. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Tokshkai Inside Look podcast. Today we're speaking with Charlotte van der Sensei from Brussels, Belgium originally, and now living in London, UK. Van der Sensei has been training for over 24 years, during which time she's placed third and fourth place at the World Championships and first place multiple times in the European Championships. She is also the founder of the Portuguese Naginata Association, an open cup in Belgium, and currently teaches at the Aspire Naginata Club in London. Vanderslein Sensei holds the rank of Godan in Naginata and Sandan in Kendo, and in this wide-ranging conversation, we go from her early days getting into this art to a wide range of initiatives and organizations she has helped found and lead in Europe and most recently across the globe. We also talk briefly about the complex nature of human interactions within the Budo world, usually simplified as politics, and the challenge and blessings of being sensei-free. Vanderstein Sensei has shown courage and resilience in her Naginata career these past couple of decades, and has mostly succeeded in not getting sucked into the politics, and practicing purely for the pleasure of the art. So without further ado, here's Charlotte Vanderstein Sensei. I'm from Belgium originally, although now I live in London. It's really by chance, I would say. I started this when I was 13. It was available at my primary school for some reason. One of the ladies who started the club had gone to Japan a couple of times and she had like done one or two classes of Naginata and she decided, yeah, why not? I'm going to open a dojo here. There were a couple of very new people in France, a couple of people doing it and, and maybe also a couple in the Netherlands and that was it for Europe in general. So, yeah, she just started out of the blue club at her son's primary school, which was also my primary school. And my parents couldn't pick me up after school. So we were basically doing every single sport there was. So it was like Monday ballet, Tuesday basketball, Wednesday, you know, you name it. And one of them was Naginata. They just started this when the day that, well, on the year that I moved to secondary school, so I continued doing that by coming back to my old primary school. My, my brother was still in that group. And actually the little group that started at that point is the same people who are now in the Belgian team. So it's quite funny. The, the group stayed together until now. And although we didn't really have a formal teacher, well, the, the lady was just organizing some exercises, or, you know, but she had no grade or anything. So basically... We were going to a seminar in France because it was the only place where seminars were eventually organized. Besides, we speak the same language, so that's also easier. We were going there as kids, learning a couple of things and practicing at home and in the club and trying out things. And then we ended up evolving like that, you know, with bits and bobs from different places. We never really had a sensei. Uh, and even today, the way the Belgian Federation organizes their class, there is not one teacher. It's just the group of co-participants who started then and who are teaching, but who are not all... Uh, well, now everyone is uh, Yondan, Godan, or Renshi. And that's how it evolved. There is not just... There is no sensei, if you like. So that's how I started. 
So you were elementary school students and you go to a seminar in another country in this Japanese martial art. Your parents were taking you there or how was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the parents were driving. It was like going on holiday. They, would going to, they were going to France anyways on holiday camping. It's just a couple of hours away. It's not very far. Drop us at the camp and they would go for doing whatever they were doing. So it's not, yeah, they would take us. I think we were quite lucky in that regard that the parents were quite willing to move around with the kids. I think the whole group was in that kind of case or they would give a ride to the other kids or, you know. Yeah, it was quite a, a family thing. I'm going to put it like that. Very informal. So that's how it started. And maybe I stayed three, four years with that club. We eventually had our differences. Well, the lady who started had some... I'm going to say some differences with my brother. And then basically my brother and I, at one of the seminars, were talking about that to one of the people from the Dutch Federation. And they said, well, the two of you can come and train at our club. So from there, my brother and I started to go and train in the Netherlands every weekend. That's also a two-hour drive, so not too far. I don't know, maybe until 2006, something like that. So from... Yeah, from 1995 to 2006, we trained a lot in the Netherlands. I think I have quite fond memories from that group. The teacher was a bit of a military kind of, it was more of boot camp than actually a training. On the Saturday, it was always their squad training. So only the team, plus the both of us, so my brother and I. And it was always like very hard and everyone was in super good physical condition. I don't think I would be able to do any of the exercises that we did there because it was like, yeah, <laughs> completely crazy. But uh, yeah, we had a, a very close-knit little group and that kind of made it together. Well, we, we kept together. It was really an interesting, an interesting time. I think I did have good basics in the end. Although, although we have our differences, I think I do owe him that I didn't stop Naginata and that at the end of the day, I've got good basics to rely on that I might not have had if it was not for him. Also at that time, they were, well, the Dutch team was in charge of developing Naginata in Germany and Italy. So they would pick us up on their way. Well, it was not on their way. They would just drive through Brussels on purpose to pick us up. And then we would drive to Germany. We were just part of the group. So they would just all drive together and pick us up on the way. That's not even the way. So yeah, I've got quite good fun memories of that kind of seminars. But the poor people who were at the seminar and didn't have the practice we had every weekend, they would just faint or vomit. I mean, the whole thing was a bit of a mess. It was just too much. <laughs> but yeah, good, good, good memories, definitely. Yeah, it's old yeah. style, tough love. Yeah, more, more than tough love. I think it's not that I think of it probably too much, but yeah, it was a good experience. And at the end of the day, we are still friends with all these people. It's, it's like a second family, really. At that time, my brother and I opened the club in Belgium because, well, once a week was not enough. So we just gave each other some kind of fun challenges, like uh, because we were getting information from the different clubs when we were going to seminar, when we were going on the weekend. You know, you get techniques or you'd see a video, it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to try that. Try it at the club. And then when you get to the next competition, try it out. And then we would do some kind of a, a challenge saying, oh, I, I think you cannot put that many points with that technique or, you know, no, and you cannot do that technique with a point. Nobody scores with that. Yeah, let's, let's try it. Just shake on it. And it's like, uh, okay, let's give it a go. And then afterwards, like, oh, did you score? Yeah. Did you score? Yeah. Oh, okay. And the next one, it would be the same Nobody would have won or, you know, it was like, okay, they both worked or, or no, neither worked. So it was a, a good challenge and quite a fun way to, to do Naginata because there was no real feedback. So it was more like trial and error. And, um, 
Sounds like it was very beneficial to have you and your brother practicing together. Like oh yeah, a... definitely. And also, as we had our own dojo, we could just set up the example that we wanted. So I'm not going to say more in the Japanese way, but yeah, more formal, I'm going to say, in a way, because we had that example from seminars or from what we had in the weekend with the Dutch team. So we set that kind of system up, also the grading system, all these things we set up in our club like we wanted, really. So it was quite different, in a way, from what we had in Belgium beforehand. Were high school students at this time? No, we, we had graduated. It was in 2003 we opened the club. I graduated high school at, in 2000, so... After. But you were still quite young to... Yeah, 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 yeah. But to open a club in Belgium, you need to be 18. You cannot sell because you need insurance and you need, you know, so it, it wouldn't have worked beforehand. We just practiced in other places in the meantime. But yeah, it was not something that we could have done beforehand anyways. Then we also organized that competition, the Open Cup. It was quite popular. It was like having a second uh, European championship, but organized in a way that it didn't matter what country you were from. We would make the teams on the day and, you know, we'd make a list with all the people from, let's say, by rank, so all the grades. And then we would pick the first one and the last one on the list and then pair them up and so on. So by the, by the time we had teams, we had teams that were like one with very high grade, one with the very low and some with everything in the middle. And actually it was quite equal, the chances they had to win through. And also they were paired with people who had nothing to do with each other. So they don't know each other. So there is no real strategy in place. It was more about friendship and creating a good ambience. I would say all that period of my Naginata practice is more about the group and connections and how you develop connections with other people. People would just, it was like a, a family enterprise, so I would say. My mom would do like all the catering, the sandwiches for everyone. And my dad would be doing the camera because he's a producer for documentary. So him and his uh, students would do all the camera work. And, and so we would make a DVD afterwards and everyone would camp in the, in the field next to my parents' house. It was, it was a fun, and you had all these people who, are no, who normally you would meet in very formal situations, like in international championships, but then now they were just camping in your garden, you see. And so it was really, really fun. Good. Yeah. I, I, I have quite good memories of all that period. Then I moved to Portugal because I was given the opportunity to study there for one year of student exchange. And my brother moved, so we closed our club. That was kind of the end of the Open Cup as well, because the club didn't exist anymore and we didn't have the, the space. And so basically that was also kind of a, a new chapter. I thought I would stay there just for one year and then I would come back. At least that was the plan. But then I liked it so much there that I actually stayed. So we didn't reopen. Um, I joined the local kendo club. I thought I'm going to do something very similar. And it's for one year. Why not? There is no Naginata in Portugal. But I took my Naginata with me and before, before the classes each time I would do Naginata on my own in the dojo. At one point one of the guys from the kendo club came in and they said, oh well, you're doing Naginata? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm actually training because we have competition next month and so on. I said, well, if you want to teach Naginata, you can exchange for kendo classes for free. Like, Okay, excellent. So basically uh, that's how I had a deal with the, well initially with the kendo club 
to exchange Naginata against Kendo or something. It eventually turned out that most people who were doing Naginata were more like people who were doing other martial arts that were already in the Kendo club. So basically we didn't grow numbers. They were hoping that Naginata would actually bring more people, but they were the same people who were already there. So they ended up not wanting Naginata to be a part of the Kendo Federation anymore, although they had it in their status for a long time. So it ended up being a separate thing later because it was not making money and it was more of an extra hassle in terms of uh, admin that it would be bringing more members. So I was not really expecting to make more members for Naginata, to be honest. But yeah, that's how it started. I remember showing up at the kendo club for the first time. Of course, I had my bobo with me. Well, I mean, Naginata bobo, but it's similar to kendo. I mean, it was in Dubai. You couldn't see, you couldn't see the kote were different or I had sunyate. Sunyate is the chin protector, by the way. So I, I show up at the kendo class and I ask, okay, can I practice some kendo with you? And they see, okay, you, you have a gi and hakama, you have a bobo. I say, yeah. Okay, well, put it on. Okay, you know, it's my first class. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they understood English very well because I told them, you know, I've never done kendo, you know. Yeah, no, no, you have a bogu, it's fine, you'll just, okay. Yeah, I'll put my bogu, it's fine. And of course, I, I didn't know any kendo at all. So it was a bit like, a, oh my God, what am I doing? It's like, I don't know what the exercise is. It was like a bit of a mess. They eventually found out that I actually didn't know any kendo. So I thought, you don't know, don't know any kendo? No, I told you. <laughs> but you have a bogu, yes, naginata. <laughs> so it was a bit of a strange first class. And for the jigeko part, which is like a sparing against each other, I eventually asked if I could change weapons. So that went much better. <laughs> naginata against kendo was uh, definitely easier than uh, fighting with a, with a sword for the first time. That wouldn't work, work out at, at all. But... Uh, have they tried fighting against Nakinata before with their kendo? Yeah, I do that quite often, well, often, a couple of times a year. It's easy enough because the, we have the same targets. Well, except we have more, one more target on the legs. But other than that, most of the targets are the same. The armor is the same. So it's quite safe to do. Of course, we have a little bit of a problem with the distance, as you might imagine, because Nakinata is very long and the Shinai is quite short. So basically, I'm too close with the Naginata, they are too far with the Shinai, so they need to do a lot of running and I need to do a lot of going back. You cannot apply any of the techniques because I don't fight the same way against Naginata than I would against Kendo, it's not possible. Kendo is quite fast doing things and quite straightforward. Naginata, I, I feel I can do more Waza, but against Kendo it's impossible to put them in places. You don't have the distance and you don't have the, the timing, it doesn't work because of the distance. So you fight in a different way, but it is quite interesting. It's definitely worth doing if you have opportunity to, to do. So, so in that time, in that Portugal club, before there were other Naginata students, you had a chance of doing some Kendo and doing some Naginata versus Kendo? You, no, it was mainly Kendo. I did, I did teach some Naginata separately. Hmm. And after a year, I moved to uh, Porto, which is more north. At that time, I was in Lisbon for a year. But I realized that for architecture, the main architecture studios, they are all in Porto. And my goal at the time was, once I would finish study, I would want to do an internship in one of those large studios. So people were saying like, yeah, you're crazy. Everyone wants to be in those studios anyways. You will never get it. And it's not worth changing school for that, whatever. 
I eventually changed school uh, uni to Porto. I got a transfer to a uni that my previous school in Belgium also had an agreement with, so I could transfer like that. Finished studying. I, I actually uh, opened the club in Porto at that time because I thought I'm going to stay anyways. At that time, I decided, you know, I kind of like Portugal anyways. New people, nice food, nice weather, you know. I was born in Belgium by mistake for sure. So yeah, I decided I was going to stay. And so I opened not only a club, but I also opened the Portuguese Federation, Panaginata. Put my own money in making a formal association, if you like. Because to be part of any of the official seminars and competitions and whatnot, you need to be a federation. And then the federation needs to be part of the European Federation. And then that federation is also part of the international one. So basically... In order to be able to at least have a chance to compete in those, you need to have a formal thing. So at that time, I thought I'm going to already make it. So by the time they are good enough to participate, uh, it will all be in place, if you like. So that's how, how it started there. I eventually got an internship in one of those studios, not because I was better at doing architecture, just because I was speaking more than one language. And they needed somebody to translate their, their publications to French and English from Portuguese. So it was kind of a lucky way to get in. But when I finished, we had the, one of the largest economical crises of all times. As you know, like, okay, it was 2010 and Portuguese economy was not really good. I couldn't find a job to pay the rent. And most of the people who were on the permanent staff of that studio were actually let go just because, well, economy. It was, it was just not viable. So they didn't take on anyone that year. I ended up doing a couple of jobs in an estate agency and in different smaller jobs, but never enough to pay the rent. So I really had to go somewhere else. Uh, it was not viable to stay in Portugal, unfortunately. And that's how, long story short, I ended up moving to the UK. Uh, well, first to Belgium, then to the UK. Um, during this time when you're just trying to figure out your, where you're going to live and what work you're going to do, the Naginata kept on or did you have to stop it for a bit? To uh, when I went back to Belgium, uh, I need to go back a little bit then. So I was trying to figure out where I'm going to go and someone in Belgium proposed me a job at the city of Brussels. They needed people to do projects, initially one project, but then I stayed on for two or three, working as a freelancer. So I moved to Brussels, although I didn't do any Naginata there, just lack of time. At that time, I kind of closed the club, but one of my students decided to continue. He moved the club to Braga, which is a bit more north of Portugal. He's not doing Naginata anymore, but one of his students picked up and eventually contacted me, and he's now the head of the Portuguese Federation, has done it for like 10 years now, 11 maybe. So it has gone on and they are, they are now in a position that they can actually work on their own. And don't, I help out when I can, but uh, they don't really need me anymore. At that time, they would send me a video of each practice and I would watch the practice on my computer. Of course, it was not, technology was not as good as now, so you wouldn't have the live version. You would have to look at it later and comment, you know, uh, oh, at that time, put your hands more here, don't forget this, you know, whatever feedback that you can to help them out and then send the text along with the time codes of when it was happening so they can actually look at it again. So I was looking at every single practice and I was making together with them a plan for what kind of exercises to do and things like that uh, so that they could eventually correct 
So that's how we, we operated in the beginning. Portuguese, I'm going to say Portuguese remote, and they eventually got it. It's a bit this, like this, the same situation you had in, in Belgium where, you know, well, yes and no, because they had someone to ask to and we would take forever because there was nobody to ask and permission to. But at the end of the day, having no, nobody there to teach and, and they need to organize themselves on their own. That's how they eventually got to the same result that we have uh, now in Belgium. They're just a little bit uh, later, so they're getting there. But it must be a, a great feeling that you had to start something. You had to create the Federation from scratch. And even when you left, there are still people to carry it forward and continue to grow. So It was just really that one person at the moment. Uh, I have to say, if he was not there, I really thought that this would have been going forward. It's always... You need people with energy and will to organize things. And although a lot of people say, yeah, if there is a class, I will go. There are not that many people who actually say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to organize. Uh, there are not that many people like that. Well, you know that, right? I mean, you're organizing. So um, that's why we were saying in the beginning of this conversation, how all we need to do is influence that one person, find that one person, and then things will be able to carry on. Yeah, if you have a, a core group, you know, it gets to a point that it reaches a momentum and, and things kind of go. But if you don't have that core group yet, it's really hard to start. So your, yeah. time in, your time in Brussels eventually came to an end. What happened after? Um, not really. I had a lot of work in Brussels, but it's just my husband. I met him in Portugal, but he was two years in the U.S., in New York. The problem is when he wanted to come back, he said, well, I'm... Portugal is not really, it's a bit of a dead end at the moment, so I'm going to move to Belgium as well. Well, it's not possible. If you don't speak French and Dutch in Belgium, you don't have a job. Well, it depends, but usually not. So basically, the next closest city where you could find a job, and it was going to be in English, was London. Uh, and it's about two hours away by train, so you can eventually, well, it's not that far. I mean, it's easy enough to reach, so... That's how he ended up finding a job in London. And when my contract finished, I also moved to London. We thought it would be temporary. Initially, you know, um, Portugal is going to get better. We're going to go back, whatnot. It doesn't get better. And besides, now we have both, well, he has a job that he likes. And uh, I found my own architecture company. So basically, he, we got settled here to a point that there is no real reason to go away. So, well, except for Brexit, maybe. Let's <laughs> go there. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, so far so good. So I initially was invited by the local club to join them. Uh, there was already a club in London, so there was no need for me to create anything. I could just go there and practice and I was invited to, to do so. I think I just overstayed my welcome a bit. I was not meant to stay and I wanted more practice. And I think it got a bit tense because I was not the main teacher, but I couldn't also organize more practice because, well... Personal differences. Let's not go into politics. I think that's the... So basically, I ended up opening my own club here in London so I can just practice and not be involved in all the political bullshit. <laughs> Keep yeah. it to that. I think that's one of the greatest advantages of not being in my country and not being affiliated to any of the federations in the countries that I was in. I feel like I don't need to obey all these rules because there is nobody to ask to and I have some kind of freedom to be a free element because I don't have a sensei. I belong to the Belgian Federation on paper. I, well, I'm still Belgian. That's my only nationality. So of course I'm still in the Belgian Federation. And I'm, if I'm going to a competition or a seminar, it's always going to be under the Belgian flag. 
but in a way, I would say since 1995, 1996, I've been a free element. I've not belonged to a specific club. I've just visited places and done my own thing. That's a position that a lot of people probably envy as well. But it's, and they're scared as well. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, you have to do everything yourself. You have to have the energy to drive things yourself. I do enjoy doing things myself, but I think other people are really scared. They have no control, I think, and that's what scares them in the first place. Although I do things in a way that is, I think, respectful of others and in the best interest of Naginata, I believe. I understand why they don't like it, because I don't ask anyone, I just do things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know you don't want to get too much into the, the negative side, but there's still a lot we can learn from structures that exist that are kind of holding people back. If you don't want to go into specifics, maybe you could talk about some of the things that you've been able to do having this freedom away from a system or a, a sensei or an organization. Um, well... It's more like not having to obey the rules in general, um, just learning things and then implementing. And uh, of course, I'm not going to say I, I didn't get any advice from anyone. It would be a, a lie. I mean, everyone does. When I go to a seminar, I'm really grateful that I have people to show me things. And I, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm trying to say is that once you go back home, you are independent and you can just practice for practicing. I think that's the main thing for me is that I just do it because I like Naginata and I don't need to be involved in all these political things. I think that's the main thing for me. I can just go and say, I'm going there to practice. Or if I go somewhere else and the door, doors are open and just, I just can say, well, I'm in this country. Can I come practice? Yeah, no problem. I don't have to ask anyone. I think in, in Naginata, it's quite political, the way things work, where you have to ask your sensei and then your federation. And then the federation has to make contact with the other one and then go down the other side to pair you up with a dojo who can... I think it's kind of taking away all the, all the positive things about Naginata in general, that, you know, you have that exchange. And, and I kind of like the way that it was so informal before you know, with the Dutch team and with my club in Belgium and, and then in Portugal. It's an organic thing. The way that uh, it's organized in Naginat, basically, one federation within the other, within the other. Every country has their own federation. And if you look at the map of Europe, the countries are small. So it's a lot of people deciding the same thing. So things don't go forward or everyone has different opinions. And then it doesn't go anywhere. I think it's just a lot of people want to be the little chief in their country and, you know, I leave that, um, I'm happy to leave that to somebody else. But as you were saying, the Kendo Federation maybe is not like this as much. Why do you think that there is this difference? I'm not too sure. Maybe the size of it or so many more Kendo practitioners than there are Naginata practitioners. I think in, in the UK there are maybe 30 people. In Belgium there are 30 people. Portugal 10, 12, I don't know. It's very small and people... I think they want to be in charge of something, or maybe it attracts a certain type of people. I'm not too sure. It's really hard to say. That makes sense to me because EIDO is relatively small as well. But I think that being a member of a Kendo Federation has helped in that sense that we're not just trying to argue amongst EIDO people. There's also a Jodo population, a Kendo population that in order to make any changes to the Federation, you need to talk to different people that aren't related in the same way. So in that sense, I think if Yado had its own Yado Federation, we'd probably see similar issues. 
I think the, it has pros and cons to be part of another federation. Uh, I can see in France, for example, they have a large budget for Naginata because there are so many people in the, what well, is the Judo Federation there, I think. Or in Italy, it's the Kendo Federation. So there are a few examples of countries that have done that. It's good for budget because you don't have to pay for your seminars and competitions, which I have to do. So if I go anywhere, I have to pay. And basically, everything is paid for them. So that's actually a very good thing of being a part of it. But then you have another level of admin that you need to go through before you can decide anything else. So I'm not too sure how beneficial it is to make things go forward. Um, so yes and no. Uh, I think it has pros and cons. Yeah. yeah, to me at the moment, I'm not really, well, I'm in the UK, so I'm registered as a UK instructor. So if my students want to go to grading or whatnot, they need to pass through the UK Federation. But I'm not involved in the, in the organization, you see, not at all. This is something that I completely leave to someone else. I have no interest in, in, the only thing that I need to know is know how it works so that I can inform other people when they say, how do I go for grading? How do I go for competition? I need to be informed of how the system works, but I don't want to be involved in any of that. I'm, I'm happy just practicing and, and hopefully sharing. And if people want to know, uh, they are welcome to the club anytime. It's, it's mm -hmm. more of a... Yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about your club and then also this online initiative you've started after COVID. So the Aspire Naginata Club, tell us about that club. What do you do? What's the class like? I don't think it changed my format from what I did in my Belgian club, really. Um, a bit of, uh, well, I focus a lot on, on basics because I have a lot of beginners. Even when you're not a beginner, I think that's one of the main things to go back to Kihon and, and do it over and over so that you're eventually good at it. I think whatever your level, you always have something you can do better, right? So yeah, that's the main focus in the, in the beginning. Then the rest of the class is uh, split between uh, kata and uh, bogu practice. In Naginata, we have like uh, two sets of katas. Uh, one that you learn from the start and the other one that you learn after Nidan. Uh, and it's with a different weapon. So in function of who shows up, and also if we have gradings, if we have a competition, I kind of change the proportion of things that I'm doing. So if we have an exam, I'm going to do way more Kihon that I'm going to do Bogu. But then if we have a competition coming up, I'll do more Kata and more, more Bogu practice. Right. So it really depends on who, some of the people who are showing up on the team. So yeah, I'm, I'm trying to see in function of what they are doing. So for example, uh, in, in a typical Naginata competition, you would have Kata and then individual fighting, and then you would have team fighting. So in the kata or engi, you have like a set of kata that you need to do with a partner that you already know. And I suppose it's a bit like Yaido, but you are in pairs. Mm -hmm. So the one who does the best performance will then win, if you like. So you need to be coordinated with your partner, do the best technical performance, and then get, get out of the shiaijo. So in a way, it's quite similar, I think, to uh, Yaido. Basically, they need to know the kata very well and they need to be coordinated. So I would insist on that if one of them is participating in that competition. And then in terms of the armor bits, well, of course, you need to how to make a strike and how to score it. So I would spend quite a lot of time doing just single strikes and then do some of the techniques that you can, you know, there are quite a lot of different techniques in Naginata because you can change side, you can change the kamai. It's quite varied compared with other martial arts. I would say like if you compare with Kendo, you just do uh, Shudan and Jodan, but in Naginata, you can use so many others. There is quite a few different examples of things you can do. So basically I would spend the other parts doing 
um, that and how to get people to do what you want, how to get your timing right and wait for opportunities. It sounds like when you were practicing with your brother, when you first started too, you were doing a lot of that experimentation with different forms. You're trying to get, bring that same thing to your club? Yeah, although my level was quite different at the time. Uh, I was Nidan at the time and now I'm Godan. I think I'm, I've evolved to a different way of practicing, I suppose. I do adapt in function of the level of the people. But I think at that time I was more about how to trick them into doing something. Rather than now, I would do less strikes and you just, okay, you just need that one strike to make the point and you want it to be the right one. And so the goal is more like, okay, one strike, one point. It doesn't always work out, don't worry. But at least that's the, that's the goal on how to be more efficient and create your opportunities, which before, I don't think I was there yet. Also, we were younger, we had more stamina, so we could compensate in a different way. So I think the way I'm doing Naginata has quite changed, not only because of the, the level, but also because I do kendo and I do think more straight now than I did before. So I think in that sense, kendo kind of influenced the way I'm doing Naginata quite a lot. I, I do everything more straight to the point than I did before. Of course, there is no running. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about that, the online initiative you've done so far. It seemed like even when you had moved back to Belgium and your Portuguese students had to send you videos, so you've already kind of played with geographical distance of learning. So this sounds like just a continuation of that initiative. In a way, yes, but I don't give personal feedback to the participants. And also, I'm not the one teaching. Sometimes yes, but most of the time no, because I invite a different speaker every week. So that started also at the coronavirus lockdown. We had to close the club and after a couple of weeks, I was already bored not having Naginata. And I thought, you know, if I would just organize a class that we could at least do some footwork and nobody has a Naginata. And if you see my living room, it has like maybe two, three square meters in the middle there. So it's not like you can really do anything other than really basic things and... and so I was hoping that having different point of views from different people would actually help to get some more variety. Also because I have my own students here, but they are used to what I'm saying. If I'm always saying the same thing because we're going to repeat for months and months in a row, it might not be the most interesting thing. So I decided to open to everyone and basically I invited, we have a Facebook page that is Naginata Around the World. It's quite an informal Facebook page made by my brother and two friends who are now based in Japan. They created that quite a, a while ago. And then basically it's all the informal bits and bobs, what people want to put as news, but it's not organized by the federation or, you know, so it's news about what you're doing in your country and what you want to share. Uh, and so basically I've shared that there uh, saying like, okay, I'm organizing this thing. And basically put a Zoom link saying, okay, we are going to do it every time at the same time. And then if you cannot join us, you can see it on YouTube later. So I have all these, uh, very similar to your format, really. Uh, you, you have all these YouTube videos that people can eventually do later if they want to, with different subjects and with different people teaching. So far, I think it has been great. Everyone had very different things to say and on subjects that were quite different. Some people were more about stamina, others more technical. Yeah, so far, quite interesting. Also, I thought, you know, I'm going to just have local people connecting and eventually some of my students in Portugal or, you know, but actually, we had people from everywhere. Uh, well, not everywhere, because of course, if you're in Asia, you're in the wrong time zone. I thought they were not really my main public, because in Asia, they have enough teachers that they don't need me. And besides, they never closed the dojo in Japan. And 
anyways, so basically I made it in a time that was good for uh, uh, America continent and, and Europe. So it's easy enough for people to join, at least when they were stuck at home. Could you give a couple of examples of people that have taught at this in this session and what kind of topics that they covered? Just a few examples, just to give a range. Uh, yeah, although I'm not too sure I will remember all of the topics. Let me have a look because I have a list here on my website. So I can tell you. But we have a bit of different grades as well on all the people who... Yeah, that's great. Uh, for example, one of the first people who I invited was Katie Roach from New York. She gave a lot of exercises, a lot of footwork and how to stretch. She, she's a PE teacher, so it was quite interesting what muscles you use and how to do some core exercise. So part of it was also what muscles you use and things like that. Someone who has come twice as well is Mark Berchan. He is currently the technical director for Europe. He's living in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. We had someone from Canada, I think Shodan. He gave us a speech about motivation and martial arts in general. We also had David Doz, who is uh, president of European Federation from Brussels. Kiersey Hogland, who is from Uppsala, also Godan. Who else? Kay, who is in Seattle. She's also, I think, Yondan at the moment. One of my students, Eduardo, came twice. That's the one I was talking about from Portugal, who has taken over the Federation. There, there are quite a, a few people. Oh, and you probably know Daria that you, you interviewed a few weeks ago, you told me. She's from St. Petersburg. Mm -hmm. I could give you a few examples. So we have like people from Germany, someone in Madrid, Melbourne, someone in Italy, someone in Uppsala. Yeah, so basically quite a variety of people. Yeah, that's amazing. Congratulations on that success. Getting so many different people to connect. It's good so far. I just find it hard to convince people sometimes because I think a lot of people feel pressured and it's like, oh, it's going to be recorded and in front of so many people and... You know, um, they are scared of making a mistake, but at the end of the day, it's not about, it's not to give the example for future generations. This is just to organize a fun get together and, and be able to practice while we are stuck. That's really the goal is get off the sofa. It's not about documenting Naginata for three generations to come. So for some people who can relax about it and not feel like, okay, oh my God, somebody's going to look at it. I think they, it went quite well and, and they, they all had different things to say. So far, so good. Cool. Okay, so we're approaching time. So there's a large audience for this podcast don't know much, probably don't know much about Naginata. You've had experience with Kendo. You've kind of seen some other martial arts. What would you say is unique about Naginata that continues making you motivated to practice? That Well, for who doesn't know Naginata at all, I think the best way of explaining it is like a very similar to Kendo, but you have a, a long pole with a blade on it, if you like. And because of the length, um, you are actually sideways, which is one of the main things of Naginata. And because you are sideways, you can also change sides. And to do that, there are several ways to do it. But one of the main ones is to change techniques, to change kamai. Because you change kamai, I would say one of the main things that characterizes Naginata in terms of martial art is that you have the mochikai waza, which is uh, aso something, so men or aso sune. To me, it's quite unique to Naginata that you can actually have that variety. So to me, that makes it quite interesting. Uh, a lot of people find it actually a problem because they feel that they take a lot of time to learn the basics. And that's true. It's taking way more time to learn the basics for Naginata than anything else because you have too many of it. Or, you know, that's how I was described Naginata at one point by, by somebody. It's like, oh, it's taking too much time to, 
before I can actually do something with it. And, and I understand. But then once you can, it's really interesting. I think that's what keeps me motivated. I feel there is always something that you can do better and always something you can improve. Always a new, well, it's not new, not a new technique, but a new combination of things that you didn't think about or say, I'm going to try out this, I'm going to try out that. There are lots of possibilities. Also, when you are in a Shi'ai, not that I don't like kata, don't get me wrong, but for me, Shi'ai is the part where you can try out things. I like to do kata for the form, but I do like the fact that you can try it and see, okay, if is what I did for this whole year, was it efficient? There are not that many competitions in Aginata. There is a European championship every couple of years and a world championship every four years. That's it. Everything else is quite local and, and there's nothing, basically. So every couple of years, you get to try if what you were training in the last two years was actually efficient or not. And because there is such a variety, what you get in front of you is always unexpected. It's like you don't know what's coming. It could be anything. And in my opinion, the bogu part and, and the variety are the two things that motivate me in particular. But uh, see how efficient it is. And at what point, at what point you, can, you can do, okay, if I do just one strike, do I make a point? Mm-hmm. That's great. So why don't you tell people, I know you mentioned a Facebook page, you mentioned a YouTube channel where your videos are loaded. Could you talk, where can people find these things? First of all, all the videos are on YouTube. Uh, if you tap Naginata at, Naginata at Home, you will find it. Otherwise, I have a, a website for Aspire Dojo, and that's uh, netsubo.weebly.com. And I have a Facebook page, um, but the Facebook page is mainly to give information about the club. And so if you want to join us for practice, like uh, interesting articles and uh, if the club is closed for any reason or, you know, things like that. But on the club page, I have an event through the club that is called Naginata at Home and that people can join for free. So, yeah, it's every Wednesday from 7 to 8 uh, p.m. London time. So people are free to come and, yeah. The speakers are announced on the event, so they can always see who is going to be speaking next and if they are interested in, in joining us. And you don't need any material if that's the case. Um, Thank you so much, Charlotte, for your time. It's great to hear all these initiatives that you've been able to, to do in Belgium, in Portugal, in the UK, and now internationally. So hopefully, yeah, we can get more people involved in these activities, stay here after COVID and continue practicing Naginata. Well, let's cross fingers. Uh, so thank you for uh, starting with this initiative as well. I mean, it's a great idea to have different people's feedback. I mean, uh, always good to hear what other people do in other disciplines because it might be inspiring to do something in our own. So. Oh, absolutely. Thank yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, see you soon then. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode because we have a lot more exciting conversations to share as we explore the world of the traditional Japanese martial arts. The Inside Look podcast is available on most common podcasting platforms and on YouTube. Remember to subscribe to not miss out on new interviews as they are posted. We're always looking for feedback to improve, so please write us a review or drop us a line at podcast at tokushikai.ca or on Facebook and Instagram at tokushikai.canada. Until next time, thanks for listening.